This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, Free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright and this is Blacksit Global. My next guest was born to break the mold. Gabriel Lavelle is a true Renaissance man. He's an accomplished multi-industry entrepreneur with a focus in hospitality. From fashion to real estate, Gabriel has always had a focus on intention. His most recent project, Day's House, combines the warmth of hospitality with the beauty of art and is a delight for the senses. He's joining me today from Johannesburg, South Africa. Welcome to Blacksit Global. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. Awesome. I have so many questions. I know you hail from Everett, Washington. Talk to me about your beginnings in Washington. Oh, man, that's that's a heavy one. It's the uh, home of Boeing. My father ended up moving us there from Florida, where I was actually born, in order to basically become a compliance engineer. Ended up getting my mother a job, but they were both kind of entrepreneurs in their own right. When I was in the second grade, we moved to Seattle, well, Everett, Washington, and just kind of, you know, kind of existed in this really blue collar environment. Most people from where I'm from don't go to college. They typically just work for Boeing. So that was always the trajectory of myself, um, my friends, everybody around me, unless the ones that kind of escaped and tried to do their own thing. Even now to this day, you know, a lot of my friends still work at Boeing and kind of doing things around that area, even from a very young age. I felt that Everett was just too small for me. I I knew I didn't want to work at Boeing. I really didn't care about planes besides flying on them to get to new and beautiful destinations. But actually manufacturing them sounded really terrible. When you then kind of progress through how to get out, which is, like I said, kind of move to Seattle, which is what I did. You go to college and you start seeing other opportunities outside of it. One thing that I did early which a lot of my friends and, and, and others that I know didn't do, was travel. At a, at a pretty young age, I started actually traveling, did some backpacking in Europe, was able to go to Egypt pretty young. You know, that really sparked my interest for something outside of Seattle. You know, I'd, I had started a couple of different businesses, like I previously mentioned. Both my parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, so it was kind of in my blood. Like my dad's a very 
he's a hustler. He's really big mind thinking and thinking of the most grand ideas. And my mom is diligent and very uh, rhythmic and, and systematic about her approach. And you kind of have to have both. And so seeing seeing that allowed me to open up a you know a clothing brand with uh, one of my best friends. We did that. We did pretty well. And that's when I first dived into entrepreneurship. Fast forward to about 22. My older sister lives in New York. And I was like, you know what? Let me try to open up a clothing store in New York and just jump ship. And that's what I did. Jump ship to New York and realize, oh my God, there's people doing 20,000 times greater things that I thought about. And the industry is so much more advanced than what I was used to in Seattle. So the store idea just didn't work out. (laughs) But honestly, for the best. And then I just started thinking about again, like, what, what do I want to do? I knew I didn't want to just go to a regular corporate job. I had worked at one throughout school and throughout even having a clothing brand and stuff. I had had a corporate job. So I started working in film. Uh, I worked on The Daily Show. I worked on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I PA'd on like some movies and even did some like camera work. And I did that for a few years when I moved to New York. I love New York and I think it's one of the best places on earth. And one of the greatest parts about it is you learn so much about yourself in a very short time because you get put up against the wall for so many different things. Everything's so expensive. It's fast paced. You can meet people. It's, it's an amazing place to really push yourself. And I wanted to do that. I was just trying everything. <laughs> you know, I worked for uh, a new retail concept, which ended up selling to Macy's, which was really cool. And was just kind of doing odds jobs. And, and in between that, just starting businesses and stuff. Like I would try, I bought a few ATMs and put them in uh, bodegas. And that was really successful. I still have a few of those. Ended up putting a few ATMs back home. I guess the big thing is, is I've always wanted financial freedom. And one love since I was younger was traveling. And so that's how I ended up just trying all these different things. And New York is literally the, like one of the best places in the world to do that because you have the top of every industry. So anything I wanted to do, I could just dive straight into it. I'm pretty good at selling myself. So I would get into jobs or get into businesses that I probably wasn't qualified for to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I finessed my way in there and was able to learn the industry and you know, pull my weight. So I was blessed to have a long, about a five, six year stint of just doing a bunch of different things. I, I don't want to, it'd take three podcasts to say everything that I've done. So about six years ago, we passed apartments down to each other. You know, if you have a friend who has a friend and they have really cheap rent or rent stabilized apartment, you call up somebody before you just give it up. You don't ever try to just give it up. You give it up to either your family or a friend. So a friend of mine called me up, said, I was living in Queens at the time. He called me up and said, hey, I have this apartment. It's in the East Village, which is a really popular neighborhood, really expensive neighborhood. And, you know, do you want to rent it out? Do you want to take it from me for super cheap? It was stabilized. It was like 900 bucks a month. That same apartment is like 4000 a month, actually. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, but it was a shoebox. It was, it was in a great neighborhood, but it was a shoebox. I mean... You could use the bathroom and fry an egg at the same time. Um, oh my gosh. And I mean, it really was. It was like 200 square feet. Like it was crazy. And so then it was on like the third floor of this old building. But I love that place because again, you're in New York. You don't want to be in your house. Like you go there to lay your head. You get up and I'm like 25 years old. I'm like ready to do anything. So it came time to really just try to get rid of it and try to get something better, upgrade. I was there for about a year. I'm thinking, I'm like, well, I could rent it out. You know, so I, I subleased it to somebody for a while. And then another friend said, hey, why don't you try Airbnb? 
I'm like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, like, why not? So, I was, again, I was working a full-time job, and he said, no, nah, it's super easy. You, you can make a lot more than what you did with your tenant. So, I'm like, oh, sure. I did, and I made four times as much as what I was making for my tenant. So, you you know, I charged my tenant essentially 2000 So, I was making $1,000 a month, which mm-hmm. I pushed to my new apartment that I could afford a better one. But I started making 4000 a month on this one apartment. And I'm like, oh my God, hold on. And you know, what's funny is when you're working and stuff, your head's down. I wasn't really paying attention because I was focusing on like another venture that I, I really wanted to push in Egypt. Essentially, long story short, I was speaking with a good friend of mine and kind of just divulged the information of like how I'm renting out my apartment on Airbnb and how much I'm making. And she's like, no, there's no way. There's no way. She's like, I've worked in real estate asset management and all this stuff. There's no way that you are making this much money. I'm like, I'll pull up my bank account for you. And I show her and she's like, oh my God, wait, do you want to do this as a business? <laughs> you know? And oh I'm my like, gosh. yeah, let's do it. And so what we ended up doing was just kind of putting a little bit of money together and just started renting out apartments to literally like Airbnb them in New York. And we projected like a certain amount and we blew those projections way out of the water. Like, we, we couldn't even believe it. So within six months, we both quit our jobs. What? And yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, it's pretty unheard of. Uh, it, was, it was definitely at that time a gold rush. Mm-hmm. And we just were like, wait, <laughs> I'm wasting time at my job. Like I'm getting paid a pretty decent salary at my tech job, but yo, I can replace it in like four Airbnb. Like that's crazy. Wow. You know, so... She had a business that she wanted to push. She was like a financial coach and analyst, and she wanted to create this really cool concept of a business. I also, like I said, had that project in Egypt, which I wanted to uh, funnel money to. And, and we're like, all right, let's just go 100% at this. We ended up in two years about, we ended up with like 30-something apartments. And then, you know, the strategy started to change where like, hey, let's start doing this back home. Let's start looking at different areas. And that's really how I built my business. And it's funny because for the both of us, it was almost like just the means to an end, but it ended up becoming the ends to a mean. You know what I mean? Like it ended up becoming our main source and our main thing because our side businesses or the businesses we were trying to create weren't really sustainable, whereas this thing was super sustainable and we were really good at it. We would acquire these apartments. I'd design them. You know, we'd, we'd do these different things. And one thing I've always loved is experience, right? Like, so we'd try to design and curate unique experiences inside the Airbnbs. And that's really how, you know, I, I got here today, to be honest, um, just essentially taking that same concept and the knowledge that I have from, you know, the Airbnb and home sharing vacation rental world, but in metropolitan cities and applying Mm -hmm. that to a newer style hotel concept. Um, And that's how we got to Day's house, essentially. I skipped a lot of stuff in there, so... (laughs) No, that's that's perfect. It's a perfect jump because, you know, one could say like, hey, you know, you had some success with Airbnb. Why not scale up in the States? But you made the decision to take 
all of your learnings through those Airbnb experiences and additionally growing up and seeing your parents as entrepreneurs, your travel experiences, and these all culminated into what is now Day's House. So before we go into Day's House more specifically, I know it's located in Johannesburg, South Africa, with the history of the country and apartheid. Did you have any reservations about starting a business or settling in South Africa? No, no, I didn't. Um, You know, the thing is, is it's pretty similar to our system. So, you know, I had visited a bunch of times beforehand. Let me go into the fact of like the why, you know, and then I'll get back to why South Africa, why Day's House and then why South Africa. Why Day's House was because, listen, we were doing very well and I, I, we could have easily just continued to scale this Airbnb business. We knew that it was obviously, and over, the, over time, obviously, it started to decline because the numbers were too unrealistic for investors not to jump in, right? So then you had you know, large hedge fund companies you know, buying buildings and now Airbnb being those buildings, but the money's still good and, and we, we adapted and whatnot. But the difference with what we were doing with the Airbnb is it didn't really serve much of a purpose rather than financial freedom. And when you get to it, well, when I got to a point of like, this is nice, but I don't feel like I'm serving any real purpose. I travel, I love traveling. I'm very black, you know what I mean? And I want to empower others around me. And so that's kind of the why Day's House. It was really out of a need of, I've traveled a bunch. I've seen what's available in Africa in a lot of different countries, the ones that I've visited. And I would like to do something a little bit different to create a conversation, uh, which we can go into later. But why Johannesburg was actually, when you're coming onto the continent, if you're looking, because I looked in a bunch of different locations as far as the inception. The first part was, I love Johannesburg. It's, it's one of the best cities on the planet. For me, I love it. It works for me. It's, it's very black. There's so much entrepreneurship and creativity. It's beautiful. There's just an energy that's very similar to New York, but in a black way, which is just so interesting. And I wanted to be a part of that one, just by living here. And then two, I'm like, well, I want to contribute to this as well. You know, so with the history, it's interesting because in a lot of ways where I'm from, anybody that's from the Pacific Northwest, we have this very interesting, Black people from the Pacific Northwest, we have an interesting perception on racism and also, you know, the history of Jim Crowism. It wasn't implemented the same as it was throughout the East Coast and the South. So what I see here is almost some ways a representation of that. And so it's easy to identify certain just actions and, and, you know, subconscious things and kind of things the way people move around here. So that was one thing, but I wanted to be the default, most of all. Like I wanted to look around and just see black people and be in a really cool city with amazing people and create something that contributed to it. So that's, that's why, that's why Johannesburg. And as far as the fear for doing business, no, because listen, Marriott operates here, Hilton operates here. These large multinational companies are here. So it's not that it's not accessible. You just have to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And it sounds like you have been able to, you know, mobilize and quickly adjust and, you know, allow your business to flourish. Let's talk about Day's House. It is definitely something that is unique in a lot of ways. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful representation of several countries. So can you talk about your intention? Yeah. Essentially, Day's House is a boutique hotel brand, which is driven by art, creativity, modern Africanism, you know, from the design aesthetics 
down to creating our own self-sustaining economy. So what I mean by that is each room is a representation, a modern take, a modern inspiration and a vision of uh, different countries throughout the continent of Africa, obviously. That's one part of it. But the next part of it is the creating the conversation part. We hand tap and find different entrepreneurs, artisans, creatives in those countries that we can then bring their stuff into Day's house, sell it, or bring them here and create an experience around it. So you're really creating a conversation between different African countries that actually don't know much about each other. You know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, just like we don't know much about, let's say, a you know, an Ethiopian versus a Moroccan person, South Africans don't either. And most of the continent kind of works that way. We've all kind of been broken off into our own thing. So I wanted to create a safe space that would just spark conversation. That was really the intentional part. And even today I was doing a tour, some local uh, travel professionals, one of them's from Lesotho and we have a Lesotho room and she's like, oh my God, I love the way you inspire this. Maybe you should think about getting this, this and that. So now I'm going to investigate and we're going to get it. So it's really a ever-evolving conversation. That's really fascinating because, you know, as an African-American, right, and you're coming into the continent, you're coming into South Africa, and, you know, you have this vision and then trying to bring that to life and then learning and, as you say, evolving during the process. So when you started to bring that concept to life in terms of bringing, you know, uh, represent a modern representation of life and art, did you tap into locals for that or maybe even as part of that? Your, was there any challenges in terms of receptivity to you as an African-American? Like, were you seen as an outsider or just one of the family? <laughs> no, you know what? That's, that's, well, from a South African side, that's what makes South Africa so beautiful. They accept us. They love us. It's been an amazing experience as far as like the way people even open up. And I chose this specific neighborhood, uh, which is one that's very close to all the things and the regular areas that we all know and people love, but it has its own really, really interesting history and was the richest neighborhood in Johannesburg. Essentially, when apartheid happened, it's very close to downtown. They had a white flight. And so a lot of white people just abandoned these massive properties, right? It's so crazy to have somebody that went to school down the street literally come to the property and literally come here and say, oh my God, I didn't know this existed. So, you know, I think when you have a level of intention like this or anything else and you're being sincere and open and honest, I mean, people are typically going to be pretty positively receptive to it. You know, they ask challenging questions, which I love, and I'll give my best answer. And then if it's not good enough, we figure it out. So the internet has been like, an amazing tool for me. I've connected with people from every single country I'm representing right now. You know, I'll ask them random questions like, what is a great product or what's something that you feel like represents Kigali or, you know, Tanzania? Like what, what's something that's so Tanzanian that you have to have it? And those are conversations that we've been having throughout the year that I've been doing this project, even before we broke ground. And we'll continue to have those conversations, right? It's it, Like I said, it really is something that's ever evolving. And as long as you're just being culturally sensitive and not just appropriating, right? I'm very open and honest about saying, hey, this is just what we see. You know, tell me what you see and let's make it a conversation. 
that's really important is having a level of, well, one, transparency and two, being humble. You are a curious learner. You're in a new environment. You're learning as you go. And there's a cultural exchange, which basically enables everyone to benefit, right? If you approach it, as you mentioned, with intention and a level of authenticity. So as a Black man living in South Africa, it might be difficult to compare to the United States. What is it like for you in terms of quality of life? Oh, man, (laughs) it's incomparable. (laughs) You know what I mean? The quality of life is way better here. That's way better. Um, Listen, I had to relearn so many different things. You know, even just last week, I was on the property. You know, I'm sitting here fixing up stuff. It's COVID, so like we're not as busy as normal, but, you know, we keep moving. So I'm painting a wall, putting on door handles, whatever. And um, my receptionist, he walks in like a few cops. And immediately, I kind of jump back and I'm like, oh, my God. What are they doing here? What do they want? Do I need to call my lawyer? Like, what's going on? And he's like, hey, Gabriel, this is the owner. You know, um, these guys, they just wanted to come. They said that this property looks beautiful. They wanted to see what's going on. They're in the area. Let's, I'm going to give them some coffee. And can you show them around? And they're like, oh, man, oh, my God. And they're like, this place is so beautiful. And it took me a second to get out of, like, my American mindset. Because, one, they look like me. They're black. But, two, the system doesn't work the same out here. Luckily, I didn't react like too harshly. Like I was like, okay, let me calm down. I take them around. They're they're in love with it. One of them brought his wife and came and stayed. So that versus what I grew up in in Seattle, where I get followed by cops for two miles and then get pulled over for nothing, incomparable. You know, not having that fear. And then also, New York operates to me as its own country right? Like New York literally is not even a part of the United States. One reason why I love it so much, but at the same time, it's a really tough place. You know, you, it just, the quality of life just doesn't go too far unless you're very, very, very wealthy. And even then, you know, it's still tough. So there's things that I have to adjust to. I definitely think that, but quality of life here is, is very high. And then I'm blessed enough to be able to travel as well. And it's pretty easy to get to other countries in Africa because it's my main focus right now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's much better here. Let's take it a step deeper. I think there's like burning questions or obvious questions. <laughs> you know, obviously you have a life um, as an entrepreneur and then you're acclimating to different things, cost of living, interacting with different people from different cultures. Um, have you seen any challenges? I know you said in terms of like being able to make connections with different people hasn't been a challenge, but there's an obvious question sitting there <laughs> is personal relationships. Is that challenging as an American or different? So I'm actually pretty introverted. Like my job in my business allows me to be extroverted. I can talk about days all day. But me, I, even in New York, I kind of kept to myself. Like I have my same friends that I love and, you know, we kind of do our thing. And, and that's kind of how I exist. The thing is, is people in South Africa are so open and they're so nice and they're amazing people. However, moving anywhere, there's so many different differences in culture. New York is also very, very different than the rest of America. You move to New York to better yourself, not necessarily to find a wife or have kids and things like that. Like it's a very selfish thing in a lot of ways. I'd say for the bulk of people, I'm not going to overgeneralize, but the way you approach dating in New York is I think just different 
to a lot of places. So then bringing that mindset to a place like here where me and my employer, we're talking about it today, which is like, you know, a lot of people, one, are trying to survive here. And then two, there's the old tradition, which is you got to find a husband. You got to get married. You got to have kids. And I'm clearly not of that same value system as far as like the upbringing, but then also the practice of it. I'm 33. So navigating those nuances is interesting. So right now, I mean, for the most part, I've been really just kind of grinding on my business. <laughs> That's really my, my, my main focus right now, honestly. And there's a sacrifice in that. But relationships, I'd say just in general, uh, between friends and anybody here, they're pretty amazing. They're pretty good. But like anywhere else, if you come from a completely different culture and place, this place has so much history and culture that you're going to be shocked. There are going to mm. be things that are going to shock you. Absolutely. You're not going to walk in and think, hey, everything's fine. And this is how everything is. And it's okay. Once you actually start hanging out with people and you see the nuances between the way people are brought up tribally, even, you know, it's, it's different. It's very different. Along those differences, and that was a great answer because, you know, I'm also an introvert and on my grind. So I'm like head down, not <laughs> looking around. It's interesting when you were talking about being immersed in a new environment and figuring it out as you go along. Part of that would likely be cost of living and health insurance and navigating that mm -hmm. as an expat versus if you were a citizen. Can you talk a little bit about any differences that you've seen as compared to your experiences in the U.S.? Yeah, the healthcare system's way better here if you have money. Public uh, hospitals and stuff like that are pretty bad. But if you have money for the private system, which if you're American and you're over here, you definitely do. For instance, I went for COVID checkup and everything, but then also just did a yearly annual checkup and it was like $50. Uh, yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. I, I cracked a tooth last year when I was here. I was in Cape Town cracked a tooth. They had to fill it in and do some other stuff. I mean, I think I paid a hundred bucks, you know, so, and, but like a really good dentist. I don't carry insurance here. I've heard people do, but especially compared to New York, I mean, oh, it's worlds apart. I would literally fly here to get something done rather than be in New York. America. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's much better. So I, like I said, I don't really get sick. I'm pretty healthy. I haven't even needed to explore anything outside of just walking into a private facility and saying, hey, can I do this? Can you do this? And they're like, all right, cool. And the, even just the interaction is so much better. Like I had a doctor texting with me back and forth. Hey, you know, it's, I know it's locked down. Are you going to be able to make it? Is it, you know, we can shift it to this time. My car was in the shop. So he's like, you know, Uber stops at this time. So if you want to come a little bit earlier, I can come early for you. Like the, I've never had that experience in America. Wow. So, yeah. Very, very, very different. Very different. South African medical system is great. So everything that you've said goes back to a mind shift. There were things and experiences that you've had since you've been there that kind of draw back on previous experiences, like, for example, with the police that you've had in the U.S. So in terms of someone like me, who is eventually going to be leaving the U.S. for a new life. How would you advise someone in terms of mindset? Be as open as possible, but also as educated as possible. And I don't mean just educated by doing research. I mean education by experience. You know, I had visited a few years ago, like four or five years ago. Having a two-week vacation, one week in Johannesburg, one week in Cape Town, is definitely not enough information to inform a full move. You know, after that, I then came and stayed for a month, then I stayed for two months, and then I said, okay, like I really do understand the mechanics of how this place works. I've looked for my type of lifestyle, and so that makes sense. Now let's do the research to make it happen. 
I was actually, funny enough, going to try to do this project in Mexico City. Uh, that's a long story, which I won't get into. But, you know, long story short, I did research. I had been there. But plainly speaking, like, there just wasn't enough Black people for me. And I didn't really realize that that would affect me because I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm in New York. I see all these different people, whatever. But once I spent like two or three months there, one, I don't speak Spanish, which I could have got over. I could have learned it. It's fine. But two, it was just like, I don't feel my community per se. And maybe I didn't look for it hard enough. It was enough to deter me to not just live there. So even after doing about six months of research and kind of going there a little bit here and there, when I finally stayed for a little bit before I made the big move, it ended up not being the right move. And then shortly thereafter, I came to South Africa for three months and realized, hey, this is the perfect place. This is where I want to start days. Let's start doing the research around it. Wow. What has been your biggest learning or challenge? In being an entrepreneur or living abroad? Uh, living abroad and being an entrepreneur. Living abroad, my biggest challenge is, um, you know what I'd say? It's funny because it's almost like a double-edged sword. My biggest challenge is being open. I'm very open. I'm very open to different things, but I think you have to fight to stay open and to stay observing and to stay learning because, you know, a place like this, you can't learn even in five, 10 years. And you're still not of the culture. You can appreciate it. You could love it, but it's still not yours. And so fighting kind of those narrative norms and, and, and actually just co-opting what people who are from here do or say, I think that is a little bit of a challenge in and of itself, if that makes sense. You know, just making sure to be like, okay, well, I've kind of heard this a few times and this is what these people say about these people and I get it, okay. But to not let that also then ruin your view because just like anywhere else, we stay in our own communities, right? You know, I went to Cape Town, everybody thought I was colored. You know, one, being from America, like that's a bad word. So that was weird in and of itself to get over that and realize that's a classification of people and they're very proud of it here. But then two, like hearing certain, you know, stereotypes about them. And then me actually going and spending a lot of time with them and being like, oh, that's actually not true. You know, that's one thing I'd say is a challenge. Also speed. Oh my God, things are slow. <laughs> you know, I'm basically <laughs> a New Yorker. And so going to the bank, I mean, you, you, your day's gone. It's gone. I don't care what you're doing. If you're just trying to withdraw some money, it's gone. So just like getting used to the speed of things not being as efficient as a New York, let's say. And then as far as like my biggest learning lessons as an entrepreneur, honestly, is just to be intentional and to love what you do. I mean, I think there's a time and a place to do things for money. And, and I understand that and I sympathize with that. But I think it's only a time and a place. I don't think it's necessarily something that should drive you, for me at least. And so my biggest lesson has been anytime I try to do anything that's not authentic, to my own goals in life and, and not getting me to that bigger picture, it don't work. It don't work. Maybe it makes money, but I don't like it or I hate it and I don't want to do it anymore. So trying to be as intentional and authentic to my own goals and vision is the largest lesson you know, that I'd say I've learned. And that, that is a great lesson indeed and definitely a perfect way to sum it all up. So where can people find you and Day's house? So I'm Gabriel Lavelle. Listen, I'm pretty open. So honestly, anybody can reach out to me. I'm always available. I get people just reaching out saying, hey, like, how do I do this? How do I move? How do I start a business even? Even in America, I still have business in America as well. But, you know, I'm open. I'm always open to talk and help any Black people do anything I can help with, you know? So you can email me personally, gabe.lavelle at gmail.com. If you want to find Day's house, D-A-Z-E house.com. 
on Instagram, Days House SA, as in South Africa. Twitter, Days House. Facebook, Days House SA. Yeah, those are our main sources. This has been such an incredible chat. I have been enlightened in a lot of ways. You talked about a lot of being able to adjust to the culture, challenge your own assumptions, being in a growth mindset, and really approaching everything with a level of humility and authenticity. And I think all of those things definitely have worked well for you and have set you up for success. So it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I hope that we can continue the conversation again, because this has really, really, really been insightful. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for uh, having me on. I'll, I'll be back anytime you want me. All right. I'll hold you to it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Blacksley Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksleyglobal.com. Has this episode left you feeling inspired to begin your journey, but not quite sure where to start? Download our free guide with the top five questions you need to ask before planning your Blacksit. You can find that under the resources tab of our website. Remember, it's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.